HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Bonnie Plants, bonnieplants.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Here today, a very special guest, April Bloomfield of the Spotted Pig, John Dory, the Breslin, Tosca, and so much more. But now known as A Girl and Her Greens, your latest cookbook all about vegetables. Yeah. It's kind of I'm ex- not green though. Yeah. I'm a little pasty English pale right now. I haven't been in, in, in the sun at all. Well, I mean, you also are trying to eat your way through fresh vegetables, purging all the frozen peas and mushy peas yes. in your past life. Yeah, exactly. You know, I still like I like my frozen peas. I've yeah. got to admit, I'm I'm a I'm a well, actually, I'm no longer closeted because I just said it, but I, I love <laughs> I love frozen peas. Yeah, it's not a bad thing to love, and no. they're also good as an ice pack if need be. You know, there's not many frozen vegetables that taste great, and actually peas are one that you can actually get away with eating um, that actually are quite consistent. You don't really want to eat any other frozen vegetable. Yeah. Well, your mother, growing up, she had a garden. Did she grow peas and the likes? No, she didn't. She just she grew tomatoes. We, I remember eating lots of strawberries straight off the plant, um, lots of spring onions, things like that. Um, you know, all those kind of quick things that weren't too complicated to grow. I know in the book there's a mention of a tomato and spring onion salad with Heinz salad cream. Yeah. Explain to me what Heinz salad cream is. Well, okay, so it's it's a salad sandwich. When when I was growing up, um, my my mother used to pick her tomatoes straight off the vine and pick her spring onions, uh, and basically, uh, cu- you know, cucumbers, all that kind of delicious stuff. Maybe a few salad leaves here and there, and she used to make a sandwich. You know, it all used to kind of like get chilled and then it would all get crisp and delicious. Slap it on a, a piece of sandwich with some 
you know, bread, sorry, with some butter and then kind of cover it with this Heinz uh, salad cream. And basically it's like white ketchup. It's the English version of a, a salad dressing, but it's very thick and creamy. It's a bit like, it's the, the consistency of a ketchup. Yeah, I mean, you said the word cover, and I feel like a lot of, and I'm not I'm not making fun of British food at all. Yes, you um, you're about <laughs> yeah, to. I know bad. you're going to. But a lot, of, a lot of British cuisine was often thought of as something, and then you cover it with this sauce. And like almost cover it because you don't want to see what's underneath. Well, you know, it's true. We have a bad reputation in England, although I think it's changing somewhat, that we were terrible cooks, um, and particularly vegetables. You know, I've, I've heard many comments that, that English people, you know, have, you know, pondy green Brussels sprouts. Um, so, yes, you would want to cover them up if you had a pondy green Brussels sprout on your plate. But when your nan made... Sunday roast. The highlight wasn't necessarily that piece of meat. Talk to me about those vegetables. No, it wasn't actually. Um, although it was very sensual and exciting coming, kind of walking into my nan's kitchen and having the windows all steamy and, and you know, smelling the pork roasting in the oven. Um, you know, and then it coming out and the crackling is all salty and crispy and crunchy. But it was really the vegetables I loved. And my, my nan you know, um, would just pile the vegetables on the plate. I don't know if you ever remember the scene from Closing Counters of the Third Kind of when he's like trying to, you know, he's trying to just like come up, he's, he can see the mountain where the aliens are about to land and he's trying to make that big mashed potato mountain. That's what my nan's Sunday roasts were like. It was just piled high full of vegetables. So I, I grew up eating like peas and carrots and lots of brassicas, you know, and lots of like buttered cabbage, you know, with black pepper. What is a Swede? A Swede is a, a rutabaga, so you, we in America call it... Um, I've stopped saying you guys now. We in yeah. America... <laughs> well, I mean, I just said you guys with your British cuisine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's a rutabaga, basically. Yeah, you know, obviously there were vegetables in your past, and, and your grandfather uh, actually owned a cafe. And he did. What kind of food did he serve? Was it farm to table? Was it fresh? Or? No, it was a lot of fried bacon and eggs, really. You know, he, he, he had his cafe in, 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 uh, in the 50s, uh, 60s, I think. And so a lot of muds and rockers would kind of pull up, and, you know, on their bikes and, um, you know, just eat, you know, bacon, fried bacon and eggs with, like, fried bread and tomatoes on toast but when did the subtleties of vegetables come to you was it river cafe was it working with you know ruth and rose do you know i again like growing up i i loved vegetables so i i was already already kind of fond of them um but when when i got my job at the river cafe that's really where i just i really grasp a deep understanding and actually a deep love for for the humble vegetable i mean they were amazing they just really knew how to kind of coax you know in a gentle way the best flavor out of something i, I know it was one of your first times really tasting bitter uh from yes. radicchio's chicories yes what was that experience like and how have you incorporated that into your cooking well i think as you you know when you're young i think your 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 palate always tends to sway towards sweet i think you know bitter usually usually f it feels quite bad as a child to eat anything that's bitter so you kind of repulsed uh, against that a little bit uh, and so you know just when you 
as you get older, I think you just tend to get more attracted to bitter. I think your palate changes and it gets a bit more grown up. Um, but I, I love I love anything bitter. But it's it's knowing how to balance the bitter um, and 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 have it not so be so aggressive. So the ways you can do that is by adding acidity. So say if you're making a punterelli salad or a radicchio salad, you know, you really need that extra douse of vinegar or a little bit of lemon or even some like salty anchovy. Sometimes salt actually balances out bitterness, you know, so those things combined. And actually, my just, I'm, I'm like, I'm like kind of getting all excited. Now, yeah. But my favorite salad is basically any bitter green with kind of pounded anchovies red wine vinegar and olive oil you know and it really is just very just like vibrant a little bit bitter salty um you know and and just really delicious do you still see young cooks make that bitter face when they first eat something thinking that they're supposed to like but don't really understand yeah 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 exactly yeah And, and you know it's 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 quite easy to train your palate to actually appreciate the bitter. And I think, you know, there's a couple of recipes in the book that, um, you know, that kind of allow and help you to do that, um, you know, by balancing, again, that bitterness. Because you don't want to just eat a bitter leaf and have it not dressed. You kind of want to incorporate things that are going to make it a bit more, you know, like you want to eat a whole plate. Yeah. So the spotted pig obviously serves plenty of pork. But also there I've had very simple and, and delicate salads like your radish salad. Mm. Um, how is it to balance, you know, being a carnivore while well, being an omnivore, but having such a prowess with protein and trying to forge ahead this vegetable focus ideal? Well, I think they go hand in hand. You know, um, I eat, you know, probably more vegetables at home than I do uh, meat. Uh, like if I have a, if I have a roast dinner at home, it's all vegetables and about four ounces of protein, actually. Um, you know, and you can treat vegetables a little bit like meat. They just don't get cooked as long. You know, meat, you have to kind of think about, you know, the muscles breaking down to make it a bit more juicy and a bit tender. With vegetables, you can still kind of coax those things out. Like, say you're roasting um, fennel, you know, you can make it more meaty by slowly roasting it and caramelizing all those flavors and concentrating uh, and, and maybe mellowing out the anise flavor a little bit. Um, so yeah, they're, they're kind of adaptable, and and that's the reason why I wanted to write the book. I wanted to show how versatile and approachable vegetables are. But in th- this book is in no way for vegetarians per se. It is it's for everybody because there is meat in this book. Yeah, but you know, actually, I thought I cooked more more my vegetables more with meat. But then when I came to write the book, I was like, actually, yeah. there's not a lot of meat. I know. It's, it speckles about there's those wonderful thin strips of lardo and the Hasselback potatoes. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Those which are, I, those I, are I literally just wanted to take that and put that poster on my wall. You know, like you, you have rock stars when you're <laughs> yeah, younger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should just put certain dishes on our walls right. and just, you know, be in awe of that. And aside from, you know, salt pack anchovies, I, I literally didn't see much towards the latter of the book right. that was, you know, meaty. Right, right. But like you had just said before, transforming vegetables uh, as if they were meat, um, mm-hmm. it, it's a fascinating thing. There's a passage where you talk about the aroma of mushrooms and it reminds you of uh, kidneys and mm. almost texturally too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love uh, I love the smells that certain foods give off. 
you know, like mushrooms, they they just kind of pique your interest. They, you know, when you fry them, they're kind of like, they're very inviting. It's almost like you want to kind of jump in the pan with them and kind of, you know, smother your face in them. You know, they're, and they're so delicious. And when you add that little bit of salt or a little bit of butter, I mean, they you can just elevate them into, into something more amazing. I mean, artichoke hearts, oh, almost euphemistically, seem like an organ mm-hmm. you know being called yes, a heart. Heart. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i mean they do have that little fleshy you they're know. kind of meaty they're they're very um they are they're very earthy and very um hearty tell yeah, me about depending on how you cook them yeah. again like i have a recipe for pot roasted artichokes and and you're really kind of cooking them for a while probably like 20 25 minutes and then you're slowly caramelizing them so you've kind of taken all that sugars and it's kind of attaching itself to the to the heart and you're making it really meaty and quite hearty so eating a whole plate of those with some nice salad greens that are perfectly dressed you know, it's it's substantial. You don't actually need much else. So what are your thoughts between having fresh vegetables? I mean, like untouched, knife work, thrown on a plate, maybe dressed, versus cooked, you know, even longer processes. I mean, you hear pot roasted, obviously. It's going to be boiling for a while. And you also boil your asparagus. Yeah, I love I love boiled asparagus. Actually, some of my favorite veg, um, if I'm in a bit of a rush um, to do, is just boil them and and I, and I think going back to English people having a bad rap I think we get you know a terrible kind of label attached that we we don't cook vegetables very well but I really do just get so much pleasure out of eating a, a you know a perfectly piece of boiled broccoli with dressed with just some oil and lemon and some salt you know but we're at that perfect juncture of the season where spring is, you know, sprung and the, the farmer's market is very, very green. Who do you go to in Union Square? Who are some of your favorite farmers and what do you oh, get from them? You see, I might get into trouble <laughs> by calling out favorites. But, um, you know, I love Rick Bishop. He does amazing potatoes. You know, I just became an honorary Irish woman. How so? I just did <laughs> I just did a, an event in Ireland and uh, uh, they, they really kind of I saw my deep passion for potatoes, I think. So they were like, oh, we're going to make you an honorary, honorary, honorary. I can't get that. Word. You say it for me. Honorary. honorary. <laughs> That's actually a hard I, one for me. Yeah, I know, Irish woman. So, uh, but uh, he does amazing potatoes. Just so many different varieties. He does. Uh, he, you know, he picks amazing ramps. He's usually the first guy to get ramps. His tri-star strawberries again are really well, don't beautiful. Even start those. And then you know you've got his uh, ex-wife actually on the other side of the market at Buried Treasure, and she again does the amazing tri-star strawberries. But she also is really a good hand at growing shelling peas. You know, or shelling beans, um, anything from fathers to peas to cranberries to, uh, you know, all these kind of Jacob's cattle, just different varieties. Amazing. It's funny, not not that we're going to gossip too much about the farmer's market, but I always feel like their competitive relationship makes both their products better. Yeah, exactly. So I I wouldn't have it any other way. And thankfully, there are a few stalls, you know, parting (laughs) them. There's There's a bit of distance between them. But having all these wonderful fresh vegetables, um, you know, you must get overwhelmed at a point, too, because you want to use everything. How do you show that restraint? How do you not buy all the rams, all the spring peas and, you know, figure I want to highlight this now? You know, I was always taught when I was a young cook that when you were designing your menu, you shouldn't have more. You shouldn't have like the whole menu full of all this stuff. 
you know, so we try and balance, you know, we try not to have every dish that's got ramps in it, you know, because you tend to kind of, after a long winter, really crave those green things like ramps. So it's just about having a little bit more reservation when you design your menu and incorporate other stuff. I mean, you do have a wonderful ramp and fried egg recipe in the book. Yes, yeah. I mean, you can wake up with that, then go out to eat later. Oh, of course. And then you can have more ramps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Actually, it's the one vegetable. I mean, there there are actually two. One vegetable I just do not like. And everyone's crazy about ramps. You don't like ramps? No, I I don't like raw onion that much. So I always kind of pull back from ramp season. Oh, I don't usually eat them raw, though. Yeah. Because they're kind of, they're very intense little things. Yeah, but so often do you see chefs incorporating the dishes in in the wrong ways. Right, right. Again, this comes back to the subtleties of understanding and cooking vegetables. Like, what is the best way to present a ramp to you? For me, I mean, it's exactly the recipe in the book. Uh, The first dish that we do at the Spotted Pig is we get these wonderful, perfectly freshly picked ramps and we just throw them in a pan with a knob of butter and we do enough butter so we can fry an egg in it and then what we do is put it on a piece of bread and we make this anchovy and banyols vinaigrette and we just kind of drizzle a little bit over so you get this like sweet nutty ramp that's a cross between a little onion and a wild garlic you know with the creamy fatty egg the little nutty butter, and then this delicious salty vinegary dressing, and it is just the most perfect one. Oh, you got to come in and see. Have yeah, I mean, if a waiter you know. explained it to me like that, I would. I trust you well enough that I might try your ramp. I'm gonna be able to change yeah. it. I'm sure. Okay, I will at least have your ramp bernays on top of boiled right, asparagus. Right, exactly, exactly. That will be my gateway. On that note, we're gonna take a quick break and talk about <laughs> everything green from mushy peas, frozen peas yeah. to fresh. Fresh snap snap pea salad. (laughs) You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. Answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app, the sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Again, I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here with the wonderful April Bloomfield, her recent book, A Girl and Her Greens, which is the follow-up to A Girl and Her Pig. We were just talking about peas this, peas that. There's a wonderful pea recipe, crushed peas uh, with mint. And 
there's a snap pea salad, everything's so fresh, but it's these transformations that I'm most fascinated about. I literally had dreams last night about this broccoli rob morning bun. Right. Tell me about how that came to be. So that, that recipe uh, that's in the book came about because when I first got to America, I, uh, I came across uh, these morning buns in San Francisco that I really just fell in love with. And um, I, I tried them in many places, but there was one particular, particularly nice one that I really just adored and could not get out of my head. And it was the morning bun at Tartine. And they add a little bit of orange zest to their morning bun. So it's like this crunchy, caramelly, uh, slightly citrusy, you know, cinnamon morning bun. And I, I was thinking one day that, uh, you know, I was like, oh, orange, morning bun, savory. I was thinking more rosemary, you know, goes really well with orange. Um, maybe I'll just do a savory morning bun. So I started off by doing uh, mozzarella and prosciutto with a little bit of uh, basil, uh, just some pesto. And, and then it kind of integrated into um, a, a, a broccoli rub pesto, but with really a sharp aged provolone, um, which you can buy from Arthur Avenue quite easily. And uh, yes, yeah, so so I made these, and then we served them at the Pig, and uh, people love them. It's it's an absurd way to also introduce people through pastry, you know, to one of these more kind of uh, I'm not sure about vegetables mm. because often when you have broccoli rub out, it is boiled to shit. You know, right, it, it right. is just, it's mush. And it feels more for the octogenarian than, you know, the brooding food. Right. Well, actually, you know, you know, it's actually quite bitter. And, and it's, you know, they use it a lot in Italy. And actually, if you go to Italy, it's actually really quite iodine and very, very bitter. And I actually quite prefer that one. So here you can get slightly sweeter broccoli rub from California or local, um, locally grown. Um, and and, and I, I love that kind of contrast again with that, like, sweet pastry and bitter but uh, in Italy, they cook it quite soft. They, they'll fry it for a while, you know, with garlic and chili, and it will just become this. And actually, sometimes it really loses its color, but it's, it's knowing when to stop. You know, mm -hmm. it's that moment of knowing when something's ready. Yeah, I saw on a menu when I was in Italy one time, uh, I think it just said vegetable or green vegetable affogato. Oh, that's interesting. And all it was was a side dish of whatever vegetables they had right. until they were drowned. You know, what affogato kind of yeah. means. Right. Um, it wasn't about the dessert. There was no coffee poured over. But it was it was turned into this very beautiful and palatable mush. Right. I don't know a better word than yeah, that. Right, right. And then I look at your kale polenta in the same light. You know, kale is eponymous. It's everywhere. Everyone's making chips. Pe this, yeah, people's like, go people are going cr yeah. crazy for Right now. <laughs> but how how do you figure it into this more of a stew type, a, a polenta dish? Well, sometimes kale actually gets better. It gets a little bit more soft and um, sometimes it can be quite woody. So, you know, just like collard greens, you know, collard greens are terrible unless you really, really cook them down. And with you bacon. Know, and that, yeah, and with bacon, <laughs> you know. So, so you really kind of... Knowing and, and learning and teaching yourself and just picking up tips on how to make vegetables better is really important. It's it's the make or break. It's the either the successes versus the failure, you know. Um, and a lot of people don't like certain foods because they've always had bad, 
you know, examples of them or they've had, have, they have bad memories of them. And actually, you know, the good thing about this book is I'm, I'm trying to show people that, that they're actually really accessible. And, and if you just follow those simple tips or you read the lines that, and you try and practice, that you'll actually become a really great vegetable cook. You know, being known for the not-so-nasty bits, as you call them, um, you know, vegetables don't really have to take as long to cook necessarily. Right, they don't. They don't. I so, mean, they don't, you're not going to cook a vegetable for four hours. Yeah, so the approachability is there in its efficiency, but there must be some techniques. Let's let's talk about maybe nightshades. I know tomato and eggplant. You're particular about how you prepare both. I, I love uh, I love both of those, and they go very well together. Um, you know, sometimes with tomatoes, if they're early in the season, you can just slice them up, you know, and just have them in a Greek salad. Uh, you know, but if if they're further into the season, they might get kind of tough skins, and you might want to peel them, and and then that kind of brings something sensual too, because yeah. it's a a lovely kind of voluptuous mouthfeel that you get when you peel your tomatoes. You know, they become a little bit more um, kind of um, smooth. Yeah, it's a funny thing, you know, having cooked for years, concasse. Like I would always hate like, oh, go concasse those tomatoes, and you have right. to you know score them and peel them, but it's actually preferred you know like you said texture to me yeah exactly just a different different take on it and it's extremely easy to do and you know especially when you're jarring and putting Mm -hmm. through a food mill i mean they they just heighten whatever acidity and depth that right right and and let's face it nobody wants you know if you're stewing tomatoes you don't ever want to see those little bits of skins kind of bobbing around you know so, oh, that's maybe that's just me. No, I don't know. No, we're on the same page. Creamy. You're giving plants. me a kind of weird look. Over. No, no, not at all. I'm just. I'm still dreaming about those morning buns in my head. <laughs> Creamy eggplants. How do you do yours? Uh, well, I always I like to salt them. I just think when you salt them, it draws out some of the moisture and actually. I think what what technically happens, but I could be wrong, is that the cells get a bit concentrated and they kind of get a bit squished and they kind of collapse on themselves. So they don't, when you fry them, they don't absorb as much oil. Um, I think I learned that from Alton Brown. (laughs) (laughs) I I still access and use a lot of that knowledge myself. Um, But, you know, it's a thing for so long that I know I cooked incorrectly, you know, either salting or not salting or not cooking enough and not Mm. getting enough of that moisture out. You know, there are these techniques about cooking vegetables that have the precision of cooking a steak mid-rare. Right, right. So it's just about... Learning that. It's about and, learning the technique. Yeah, exactly. You know, in, in my research, it was funny, ha- you being from the UK, that vegetarianism over there is uh, somewhere between 10 and 12% of the, oh, of really? the whole population. I think it's the largest of, um, you know, per capita around the world, really. Oh, um, I didn't know You that. know, I'm, I'm eliminating like Buddhist cultures right, and right. ones that don't actually eat meat. Um, and the largest meat-free uh, company, Corn Q U O R N, is also uh-huh. from the UK. Do you see uh, a trend going towards vegetables, or has it always been there in you know Greater England? Um, I think English people love their vegetables. You know, 
They're not called English peas for nothing. You know, it's, that's a good sign that people like their vegetables. I, I think it's always been there. But, you know, again, people, I think people realize, are realizing that, um, you know, it's all about balance and that maybe you don't want to eat, a, a, you know, a steak five times a month. And actually, maybe you just want to go and source a really amazing steak and have steak once, once a month. Yeah. I mean, it's funny also to see this bravado. Uh, it used to be with meat. I'm going to show you the biggest cut that I can get or the largest road or the, the rawest tartare. And now it's about these select vegetables. Well, mm. What are some of the things that you exclusively have that no one else might? Well, at the, at the, at the restaurants, I mean, we kind of buy from the market. So we kind of buy from the, you know, unless you have your own personal farmer, which, you know, we're desperately trying to, <laughs> to find a farm. Um, you know, you're not really growing anything uh, that's that that somebody else is not not getting. You know, everybody's buying from the market or buying from a local farm. And, you know, and it's just about trying to build relationships with those farmers and actually kind of work as a team. You know, and and you have to support your farm. farm. Like if say if you you say to your farmer, "Hey, farmer Bob, I want to you know grow." this vegetable you know you're going to have to make sure that you take all those vegetables and that you honor that you know because he's take, he's going to so much his he or her is going to so much effort to grow you that specific thing that maybe nobody else is getting you know what i really like about that answer is that it, it's not an egalitarian it's not an elitist thing you mm-hmm. know what you're doing with this book right because of the accessibility and and the ability that you know you have to have to make these recipes or to think about vegetables in general it's a lot less daunting than you know thinking about roasting a whole suckling pig right right so when you you talk to people about this book how, how do you present it as you know easy but thoughtful uh, yeah, I you know I, I say that it's a it's a book with simple recipes. But if you if you you know if you're a bit more advanced and you c- this is probably very long winded. But if you if you're advanced, then there's something for you too because you know I've kind of put recipes in there that that elevate kind of that that you know humble vegetable into something that actually can be quite hearty and 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 delicious with with very little work. I'm assuming you're talking about the potato, the humble the, potato. The humble potato, yeah, or the fennel gratin with, with anchovies and cream and fennel breadcrumbs, you know. Uh, all those things, are, you know, if you just make that fennel gratin and have, you know, a nice tiny steak with it, it's actually going to be very flavorful and quite substantial to eat. Let's talk about the microwave, because when you were little, yes, you were able to cook your own meals yes well my mom my mom used to actually when we moved house we 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 got a microwave and we I think we lived on microwave potatoes for a whole year and it's uh it's terrible way to eat potatoes but um yeah I only use a microwave if I need to melt butter yeah or heat up coffee that's I've always heard those are like the two or in in your case tea I believe Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah that's the only case I've ever heard but a potato still tastes decent out of a microwave, but how do you make it taste better? What What are your techniques for the best potatoes? Um, well, not putting them in the microwave. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know what? I love I love a perfect baked potato. Oh my gosh! Just get a big potato, and I like to stab it with a fork, you know, all the way around, just to pierce the skin. And then I like to like drizzle it with a little bit of olive oil. 
while it's on foil and then crush lots of salt I like I'm really into Jacobs and sea salt right now and I just kind of like to crush that between my fingers and then it kind of you wrap it up and then you just bake it takes probably like 40 45 minutes and as she as it bakes and it starts to get kind of soft it'll go to that stage where it'll get this little salt crust on the outside because of the oil you know and then the crunchy salt and just serve that with sour cream and some crispy bacon bits with a little bit of like extra cheese on top and a big nub of butter and some chives or spring onions really delicious see i could see you and ken opening up a potato based restaurant (laughs) just baked potatoes everywhere you know because there's such kind of humility initially about oh i'm having a baked potato for dinner but you know the soliloquy that you just spoke um on top of how delicious i'm sure your baked potatoes are i mean it, it seems it seems like so much more than that potato you grew up with Yes, yes, it is. I've learned how to make potatoes delicious. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so can people who, who use this book, you know. Uh, the recipe that you're talking about is the Hazelback potatoes uh, with the lardo. And, and what, what I do is I, sh- I shove a little cake tester in, in the middle of the potato and I do very kind of fine slits through the potato. So it only goes halfway. And then I, I shove um, some lardo in there and then I roast it with some rosemary for about 30 minutes. And they get really crispy, but they absorb the fat. You know, potatoes are really good vehicles for getting flavor in, you know. So if you want something that's hearty and delicious, go for a potato. You know, you you can put them in stews and they just kind of take on the potato, you know, they take on the stew flavor, but the, yet they keep their kind of individuality. That being said, I will still always come to the Spotted Pig. For a burger, for Ho- roll mops. Hopefully for some ramps, too. For some ramps. But from now on, I will always think about not a side of vegetables, but a plate of them. Right. As exactly. The, the five veg, that's what you need to go for. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being Thank on. You. Everyone Thank should you. run out, get a girl in her greens, as well as a girl and her pig. And stop by the Spotted Pig for ramps. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.